Welcome to Living Love, the radio broadcast ministry of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Benton, Illinois. Our desire is to live love to God, to others, and the nations. We hope this week's broadcast will bless and encourage you. Now, let's dive into God's Word and see how we can live love today. We're going to look at Romans chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, Romans chapter 3. If God is good, why would He send someone to hell? Is hell even real? If it is, doesn't that make God immoral for even having such a place? Those are some questions that I want us to consider as we read Paul's passage here in chapter 3, starting in verse 1. So what advantage does the Jew have? Or what is the benefit of circumcision? Considerable in every way. First, they were entrusted with the very words of God. What then? If some were unfaithful, will their unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness? Absolutely not. Let God be true, even though everyone is a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and triumph when you judge. But if our unrighteousness highlights God's righteousness, what are we to say? I'm using a human argument, that is, Is God unrighteous to inflict wrath? Absolutely not. Otherwise, how will God judge the world? But if by my lie, God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I also still being judged as a sinner? And why not say, just as some people slanderously claim that we say, let us do what is evil so that good may come. Their condemnation is deserved. What then? Are we any better off? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Gentiles are all under sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous. No, not even one. Just so we have a little background. Okay. Paul is writing to the church of Rome. He's writing to Christians in Rome. And in chapter one, uh, he's talking about how the gospel is the power, the power of God for salvation. And he starts talking about how uh, the Gentiles are guilty. He talks about all the types of sin that the Gentiles are doing, and he lists them. Uh, There's homosexuality that's rampant. People are living for themselves, and they're selfish. They're deceivers. They're gossips. They're slanderers. They're doers of evil. The list goes on. And what he communicates to the church here at Rome is that there are some people that know God's law. It's written on their hearts. They know the morality of God, but they choose to live for themselves. And they choose to chase after their selfish desires and not live by God's law. And so for some of those people, uh, what he mentions in chapter 1 and in chapter 2, that he delivers them over to their selfish desires or a reprobate mind. Um, he gives them, he allows them to desire what they truly want to desire in our heart, in their heart. And he didn't let the Jews off the hook, though. In chapter two, he talks about God's righteous judgment and the God's chosen people. They have the laws and the prophets. They have all this, all this good history and the line of Jesus comes through them. They don't care about him. They're just so concerned about circumcision and all their traditions. And they've become arrogant when actually what Paul was 
trying to communicate to the Jews. And part of his gospel message that he preached was that God's not looking for uh, the physical circumcision. That was part of a covenant that he had to bring about Jesus. But what he really wants is circumcision of the heart. So what he does is basically take all these objections that people would have had and arguments that people would have had in Rome um, and the other churches that he visited and pretty much says, hey, we're all on the same level playing field. We're all depraved, sinful people. And that's where he's at. And so he's continuing that thought of circumcision of the heart. And we get in chapter 3, and he starts asking a bunch of questions, just like I would. So what's the advantage does the Jew ha- that the Jew has in verse 1? Or what is the benefit of circumcision? And he says, considerable in every way. So the first thing I want us to notice in this text comes from verses 3 and 4 is that God is faithful, okay? God is faithful in His purpose, and God is faithful in His Word. And we know this about God, and we like to know this about God. We like to praise Him for that. But it's crucial that we understand His faithfulness as as Paul continues to unpack and talks about some difficult things as well. When we see in verse 3, what then if some were unfaithful, were their unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness? Absolutely not. Uh, God is faithful. He, has a, he, he is faithful to His character, His nature, His purpose, and His plan. From the very beginning, God, knowing everything that He knows, creating humans that have a free will to chase their own desires or to follow His law, He knew what they were going to choose. And He knew that He was going to send His Son, Jesus, to be an atoning sacrifice for them. He knew that he was going to have the salvation rescue plan and his son Jesus was going to be a part of it. But up until then, Jesus, he had a specific plan of when Jesus was going to come to this earth, what line of family he was going to be born into, and what tribe of the world that Jesus' family was a part of. And that was why Jesus's or God's chosen people were the Jewish people. It's because all the covenants that he made, of course, some of them foreshadow what, who Jesus is and his importance, but he had a specific purpose and a plan to bring Jesus through the, uh, the Israel nation and through the line of David, and that was all part of his plan, and he was faithful to that. So what Paul's addressing here is, okay, well, if God's concerned about circumcision of the heart, is everything that we've done, is that... Null? Is that, is that for nothing? No. It's all part of God's plan. He's faithful to His plan and His purpose, but He's also faithful in His Word. God created humans, and, in, and Paul touches on this when he's talking about the depravity of the Gentiles in chapter 1. He created humans to have a free will. In a perfect world, Adam and Eve would have done exactly what God told them to do and not have eaten from that tree. But because God loved them, He didn't create them to be robots. They had a free will. They had a free will to choose to obey God or choose to listen to the lies of the devil and live for themselves. And they chose wrong. And as a result, sin entered into the world. And 
as a result of sin. We, are, we, we have this knowledge of how, who God is and how he is and how we are different. And God is the perfect standard of morality and of right and truth. And while his purpose and his desire, or his desire is that everybody would follow him, he loved us enough to give us a choice to do that. He does not force us into heaven. He does not force us to believe in his son, Jesus. He gives us a choice. And so that is part of his faithful plan for those who choose to follow Jesus and to believe and have faith in his atoning sacrifice, they can have eternal life with him, which is great. But a result of not doing that, there's punishment. And that shows his faithfulness to his word. Because from the beginning, he said, when you eat of this fruit, surely you will die. There is a result and a consequence for the way that we live. Well, he touches on that a little bit later. But God is faithful in his purpose and he is faithful in his word. The second thing we need to remember is that God is a righteous judge. In verses 5 through 9, we see this imagery of God as a judge. And we know in other parts of the New Testament and even in the Old Testament, especially Revelation, we have this image of God as being the final judge. Okay? And he is a righteous judge. In fact, he is the only righteous, perfect judge that we have. In verse 5, he touches on, but if our unrighteousness highlights God's righteousness, what are we to say? And then he says, I'm using a human argument. And this is the key uh, part of that verse that addresses that question that we asked earlier. He asked, is God unrighteous to inflict wrath? Absolutely not. Otherwise, how will he judge the world? So God is a judge, and he is the righteous judge, and he is not unrighteous when he exercises his judgment. And now let's think about that for a little bit. God is the creator of the universe. He created all of us. He created everything that we see, and he created us uniquely to have our free will. And as God is perfect, he knows all, he sees all, he knows what we're going to do in the future. He knows what we're doing now. He knows what our thoughts are now. He knows whether you're asleep right now or you're not. I can't see all that, but he knows. And so God knows all, he sees all. And his wrath, as we see in scripture, is punishment for sin, and it's justified. Because in these verses, we see that all are accountable, and he's also not unbiased. He mentions the Jew, the Greek, and uh, in the last chapter, he mentions that there's no favoritism with God. He has a standard, and he does not um, sway one way or another depending on who he's judging. He judges fairly. If we want to, to see a model of a perfect, righteous, just judge, will we look no further than the God of our creation? And so God is faithful, and he shows his faithfulness through his righteous judgment seat. And because he is righteous judge, we have to know what is that standard. His standard is found in verses 10 through 20. We see 
that the moral law is the standard in which by we are judged. As it is written, verse 10, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All alike have become worthless. There is no one who does good. No, not one. In, in verses 11, no, sorry, 10 through 18, he's paraphrasing um, some of the Psalms and paraphrasing some of Isaiah. And he's making this case that we are, we have all sinned. We have all sinned. We're all unrighteous. Okay. And I want us to think about, you know, when we think about God's wrath and his judgment and we think about hell, most of us are okay with accepting the fact that there are Hitlers in hell, right? Or uh, Stalins in hell, right? They, they did terrible things, tremendous things against humanity. Um, and so we're okay with thinking that. But sometimes we're not okay when, um, and we don't know anyone's eternal destiny. We don't know their personal relationship with God and what they do on their deathbed and, and, and what they believe. Um, and um, We don't know. We can go off of their fruit and their actions. But we're okay with those evil people, the John Wayne Gacy's. We're, we're, in our minds, we think, yeah, they deserve it. We're okay with that. But we might not be okay with the sweet old lady next door, Right? If God says all are guilty, all have sin, then that means all of us. People that do good things, people that do bad things, children, adults, all. And that's concerning. That's bad news. Um, the moral law shows us where we have failed. If we take a look at verse, uh, verse 20, it says, For no one will be justified in his sight by the works of the law, because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. So God gave us those Ten Commandments. He gave us the law and the prophets. He gave us material to read about his moral law. And um, even later on, he talks about how no one is without excuse, even someone who doesn't have the law, because God has written the law in our hearts. And we can see, um, we can see God in his creation and his nature. And so Paul makes that case that no one is without excuse. But the purpose of the law is to show us where we mess up, that we fail, to show us that we serve a perfect God who has this perfect high standard. Um, and we can try as much as we want to meet that standard, but we will never attain it because we are not perfect. We, if, if we sin once, if we have one little white lie, sorry, you missed the cut. And as, as sweet as some sweet old ladies next door are, I'm sure that they've told a white lie or have had a negative thought about someone. The fact is we all have broken that moral law that God showed us, us that we've failed. So that's all bad news. This is all negative. I'm sorry. Every time I get up and preach, I preach on heavy things. And I'm sorry, that's just the way my mind works. But I think it's important that we understand our position. See, if you're a Christian, you're thinking, okay, well, that's great. But 
I put my faith in Jesus, and so we don't need to think about all those things. No, it's important that we remember who saves us and why we're saved and what we're saved from. Because what we tend to do as Christians is we... we <clears throat> I can't speak for you, but I can speak for myself, okay? I feel honored that God has saved me. And, uh, and sometimes I let that go to my head like the Pharisees did. Sometimes I have, or like the people that Paul's referencing, that have, have let God's law and doing these, these things um, make me arrogant. They make me uh, think that I'm better than other people. And the fact is, if I would consider how I'm not much better than they are, um, it helps me look at people differently. Because even though we are, if you're a Christian and you're saved by God's grace, hallelujah, guess what? You're still judged by the same standard as the person who is an unbeliever. We're all in the same boat. And the difference is who we have our faith in, who we're trusting, who we're trusting on that lifeboat. Is it ourselves or is it Jesus, the life saver? So the bad news is we're all guilty before a holy and perfect judge. But that, this is why it makes the good news such good news. Paul doesn't stop there. He continues. In verse 21, Now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed and attested by the law and prophets. The righteousness of God is through faith. And Jesus Christ, to all who believe, since there is no distinction, for all have sinned and they fall short of the glory of God, they are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ. Faith in the intoning work of Christ is righteousness demonstrated. God is righteous when He makes a judgment call because we're all Sinners, we violated his law, and he is just in claiming us guilty because it's truth. God is truth. He's not a liar. He knows it all. He sees it all. He knows when we fail him, we're guilty. But he also shows his righteousness when he passes his wrath, when he judges um, in that way. He, he also shows his righteousness through a way out, a way to be saved, a way to be forgiven. And we find that all in Jesus Christ, not the works, not the law. The law was there to show us how we're wrong. Jesus Christ is the one who we can have salvation in through what he did on the cross. God knows our sins, but if you have, if, if you put, have put your faith in Christ, it says... Um, it says, let me find that. Verse 25, God presented him as an atoning sacrifice, Jesus, and his blood, received through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. How gracious and loving is that? Is that a good God or what? For a God who sees someone that's guilty, they're deserving of their just punishment, but he holds restraint for that individual and he passes over their sins as if they never even happened. 
Because of why? Because of their faith in the atoning sacrifice of Christ. The eternal wrath is restrained because our sin debt has been paid by the blood of Jesus. So many of you know this, and this may be just knowledge that you know, and that's great. Some of you may not know this. I like to give this illustration as I start to wrap up, okay? I want to summarize all of this in an illustration, okay? We're seeing God as a judge here. So I want us to pretend that we're in a courtroom, okay? We're in a courtroom, and there's the judge. And by the way, I don't think you guys knew this, but um, all of you have been parking in the wrong spots in the parking lot out here. And we've all been getting fines for the past couple weeks, okay? We all have parking ticket fines that are stacked high, okay? So we're all in court. And we're facing a judge, and the judge is saying, you know what? You have a stack of, of fines this high. And you're guilty, right? I know you are, because it has your name on it. You've been a, a repetitive offender. You are guilty because of the crimes that you've had. The law is what it is. And a righteous judge is not going to say, well, you know, you took cookies over to the, to the widow next door. So that's a good thing. So I'm just going to let all these go. No, a righteous judge is you broke the law, you're guilty, and this is your punishment. You're not going to, you don't have enough money to pay for them? Okay. Hit the bricks, you're in jail. Book them. That's your punishment. You're guilty. That's, a judge is righteous in doing that. And we want our judge to be righteous and moral. And have high standards because the truth is the truth and that is what it is. Now, let's say someone came into the courtroom and they paid your fine. They paid for all those parking tickets stacked real high. This person's rich, 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 rich. They got a lot of money. They paid for all of your parking tickets. And that's good news because the judge says, you're guilty because you have done this crime. But you know what? Someone has paid your fine. And although you are guilty, in my eyes, according to the law, you are pardoned. Your debt has been paid. And I know that sounds a little elementary, but it's a good representation of how just and the mercy that, that God has and just how good he really is. Because all of us have broken that law, God's law. And we, no matter how much money we have, no matter how many good things that we, have, that we do to other people, it's never going to pay the debt that we owe of even just one sin against the holy God. The only way that that sin debt can be paid is through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And he did that for all of us 2,000 years ago on a cross. He didn't deserve it, but he did it because he loves us. And that's the kind of love that just, it breaks my heart, makes me tear up. 
Because I sin and sin, and I try to stop sinning. But sometimes my sinful heart just gets a hold of me, and it'll make me have this negative thought. Or I'll treat someone poorly, and I just continue to sin. But we have a God who's faithful to His promises, to His Word. And through the atoning sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross, my sins can be forgiven. And so I want us to remind ourselves of that, of the gospel. Because hell is bad news. And if we don't confront the sin problem, then we're not really telling the whole gospel. We're just giving people false hope if we're thinking, hey, if you say this prayer, if you do this, if you go to this church, if you do that, then you're scot-free. But that's not the way the Bible describes it. Certainly not the way Paul described it. If anyone had sins against humanity, it was Paul. Against God's people, it was definitely Paul. So he knows how righteous God is. And he knows what he deserves. And that's why Paul was so passionate to preach the gospel to people, even though they didn't deserve it, because none of us do. So I have this question for you. If you're in this room or if you're watching online, is your sin debt paid? It may seem harsh that God has hell. It may seem harsh that hell is a reality. But it is. It's eternal separation from God. It's a place that Jesus referred to many times. We don't like to talk about um, some of the things that Jesus said. He said some pretty crazy things. He said some pretty harsh things about the realities of hell. But it's the truth. The full, true gospel is that you and I are sinners and we're guilty. If your sin debt has not been paid, I beg of you. You've heard the gospel message tonight. It doesn't matter how many good things you've done, how long you've been at church. The thing that matters right now is are you covered by the blood of Jesus? And the only way to do that is like Paul said, through faith, by his grace. Is your sin debt covered? If you are a Christian and your sin debt is covered, praise the Lord. Remind yourself of how dirty you are and how you don't deserve that. There's a lot of people that tell you to think better of yourselves and you can do this. But guess what? Apart from God, the truth is we can do nothing. Our righteousness is, like Paul says, but filthy rags. And we don't like to think of ourselves as that way. But when we think of ourselves uh, the way we truly are and realize that we're sinful, we, we start to look at other people differently and treat other people with a little more compassion because we're no better off than they are. We're all in the same position. And that's why it also gives us a burden to share the truth with those around us. So remind yourself daily of the gospel and and uh, third and finally, share the gospel. Share the whole gospel. Share it with the people that it's hard to talk to. It's hard to talk with family, some family members about this stuff. A lot of us have that fear of rejection, 
fear, I don't know all the answers. Guess what? None of us do. But we do have God's word and God's truth will prevail. And God hasn't called you to answer all the objections. God has called you to share the good news of Jesus Christ with everyone. So would you pray with me? Father God, heavy stuff tonight. It's heavy because we are guilty. All the things that the Gentiles were accused of, we are too. We have hate in our heart. We have arrogance in our heart. We don't treat everybody as if they are your creation. Lord, I just pray that you will convict us each and every day of how sinful we are. Because when we are confronted with our sin, we see just how righteous and how loving and how good you are. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you, as hard as it is to admit, for your righteous judgment. Father God, we pray, if anyone here does not know you as their personal Lord and Savior, Lord, that they will take hold of the truth. Lord, and they will trust your son Jesus and what he did for them on the cross. Lord, we love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's broadcast of Living Love. If this message has impacted you in any way, please let us know. If you would like to contact us, find out more about our church, or if you'd like to support our mission, visit ibcbenton.com. That's ibcbenton.com. Or give us a call at 618-439-3513.